Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2 this evening. We're going to focus our attention on the first 11 verses. But let's read through verse 18. Matthew 2, beginning at verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. (coughs) And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and this is Micah 5, verse 2, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now that's uh, where our our text ends, but we'll continue reading a little bit. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their country another way. And when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, And be there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod When he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and went forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children." And would not be comforted, because they are not. So far we read God's holy, inspired word. One day there appeared into Jerusalem travelers from afar. From their dress, it was obvious they were foreigners. Persians, men of wealth, men of position. They no doubt went directly to the temple and began to ask, Where is he, born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Where is he? 
And receiving nothing but blank stares, they proceeded to different parts of the city with the same question. And no one had an answer. This troubled King Herod and eventually troubled the whole city. Herod summons the scribes and the chief priests and demanded to know where the king of the Jews was to be born. And they quoted him, Micah 5, verse 2, Bethlehem in Judea. And so Herod called the wise men to himself and told them to go to Bethlehem. That's where they would find the king of the Jews and tell me that I also may worship him, kill him. Undaunted, the wise men left Bethlehem and there the star that they saw in the east appeared again and with great joy they followed that star all the way to the house in Bethlehem where the baby Jesus was and there they worshipped him and gave him their gifts. This visit of the wise men is very significant. It shows the beginning of what we read in John 1, verse 11, where, Jesus, where we read, Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. Jesus was the son of Abraham, according to his human nature, and Isaac and Jacob and David and the royal line. He was part of the covenant people of God. In fact, the heart of it, the whole covenant of God, depended upon him. He came to his own, and they received him not. Their rejection culminated 33 and a half years later in his crucifixion. But already now, from the visit of the wise men and their questioning, we're going to see that that rejection was already in its beginning stages. This passage also served to show us what God would do when his son <clears throat> was rejected by his own. He would go to others. He would bring salvation to the nations, and these wise men are the first fruits of that work of God. I call your attention to wise men from the East. Notice with me, first of all, their identity, secondly, their faith, and finally, their significance. These men who came from the East asking, where is he born king of the Jews, are often presented as kings from the Orient, and three in number. There's even this favorite Christmas carol. We three kings of Orient are bearing gifts of travelers afar. They're also depicted very beautifully on Christmas cards. Three kings bearing gifts. They were not kings. Definitely 
they were not kings. Nor do we know how many there were. We know how many gifts they brought, three. But we don't know how many there were. They were magi. That's literally what you read in the original. They were magi. That means they were Persian priests who supposedly mediated between the Persians, gods, and the people. They dealt in astrology, sorcery, soothsaying. They were much like the wise men that we read in the book of Daniel of Nebuchadnezzar. That means they were Gentiles whose origins were in paganism. And they were men of means, of power, of stature in faraway Persia. What explains their appearance suddenly in Jerusalem looking for the king of the Jews? It's commonly accepted that the star they saw in the east led them to Jerusalem. I went to seminary with that idea, and boy, did I get told, no, that's not right. A lot of things I was told, no, that's not right. This was one of them. The fact of the matter is, they saw the star in the east. You don't read of the star leading them to Jerusalem. They simply decided Jerusalem was the place to go. And then that same star that they saw in the east appeared when they left Jerusalem to go to Bethlehem, and they were rejoicing. Here that star is again. And so we understand that these magi saw a special star in Persia and recognized it as a sign of the king of the Jews being born. We'll explain that in a moment. And so they came to Jerusalem to find him. Where else would you go to find the king of the Jews but the historic capital of the Jewish people? And here they come into Jerusalem. Where is he, born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Now, I'm going to be standing up and sitting down off and on. You'll get used to me. How must we understand this? First of all, I think it's safe to say these magi were familiar with the Old Testament. That's certainly plausible. The Jews were scattered throughout the whole known world at this time, including Persia. They had come with the Scriptures. By this time, the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures had been translated into the Greek, called the Septuagint, which was the language, common language of everyone. Besides, these magi were spiritual and religious leaders who would be inclined to have knowledge of other religions. Now, the Old Testament spoke of the promised Christ as a star. Remember, Balak, the king of Moab, hired Balaam to curse Israel. And to Balak's chagrin, Balaam again and again blessed them. He could do no else. Well, this was one blessing. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, There shall come a star out of Jacob 
And a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. Notice, out of Jacob a star shall arise. And that's further explained as a scepter. That's the sign of a king. A star, a scepter, is going to come out of Jacob and out of Israel. And he's going to have dominion over the enemies of his people. He's going to smite the, the, the corners of Moab. That was the nation that Balak ruled at that point. But he goes on, and also the children of Seth, which literally means the children of a tumult. That means all the enemies of Israel that rise up against her. This star of Jacob, this scepter, is going to have dominion over them. Now as a sign that this star of Jacob, prophesied by Balaam, had risen, God placed a special star in the heavens for the Magi to see. Various attempts have been made to explain this star. According to some, this star was a nova, that is, a star that grows bright and then almost vanishes from sight. Others said, maybe a comet streaking through the sky. Others say, Maybe a rare junction of Saturn and Jupiter. The fact of the matter is that this was a special star appearing in the heavens for a brief time to symbolize and announce the rising of the star out of Jacob. And the Magi understood the significance of this star. Did it only appear to them? Were others able to see it? We don't know. Was there something special about this star that the Magi who had knowledge of this passage and this prophecy of Balaam could understand? More likely, God in one way or another revealed to them that this announced the king of the Jews, the star out of Jacob. And so they traveled many, many miles to Jerusalem to see this newborn king. Now that brings us to our second point, their faith. The faith of the Magi is in contrast, sharp contrast, to the unbelief of Jerusalem. And their unbelief was evident from the fact that they were troubled. We read that. Herod was troubled, and all of Jerusalem was troubled at the appearance and questioning of the Magi. First, there was King Herod. That was understandable. Herod was a monster, a treacherous man who lived in fear of someone taking his throne. So great was his fear that he had killed several of his sons and more than one of his wives. 
It was said in the streets of Jerusalem, it would be better to be a pig of Herod than one of his sons. You'd have a better chance to live. Truly. And now here come magi from the east, circulating through the city, asking, where is he born king of the Jews? We've seen his star. Herod's troubled. He was an Edomite. That means he was from Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau? Esau was reprobate. From him came the Edomites. God in his judgment had placed an Edomite in position of power over his covenant people because of their apostasy. How much did Herod know of the scriptures? Certainly he knew enough that the people were looking for the great Messiah, the anointed one, who would be the son of David, who would rule. The king of the Jews, he certainly knew of that, and their hopes, and their dreams. And besides all that, there were rumors of other troubling events. There was the old priest, Zechariah, who went to minister in the temple, and he stayed there for a long, long time. And when he came out to give the blessing, he couldn't talk. That's when he was told that he and his old, aged wife would bring forth the forerunner of the Christ. And he was deaf and dumb. People marveled. And then nine months later, born to this old couple, is a son. And then Zachariah's tongue is loosed. And he proclaims what he knows and sings the beautiful song of Zechariah about the coming Savior. These things weren't kept secret. Now, they didn't have TV, they didn't have internet, but they had their way of spreading news. And then, not so long after that, there's the report of shepherds around Bethlehem. Bethlehem's just five miles away. They had seen an angel, and then a whole host of angels proclaiming the birth of the Christ child. And they had gone and found him lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And they had gone, we read about it this morning, they had gone and spread that all over the place, and the people marveled. They marveled. All this served as the background to now the appearance of these magi. Where is he born king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east. And Herod was troubled. And so he made preparations to rid himself of this new threat. He inquired of the chief priests and the scribes where such a Christ would be born. And they told him from Micah 5, verse 2, and they quote it, although this is the Septuagint version of it, not the Hebrew. 
And thou, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. That's where he's going to be born. Secretly, Herod summonsed the Magi. He inquired of them, How long ago was it you saw that star in the east? He wants to know how old this child may be. Tell you what, why don't you go? Go! And find him. And give him your gifts. And then come back and tell me that I may worship him also, big liar. To kill him. To remove this threat. That was Herod. He was troubled. The people were also troubled, we read. Some think, and probably correctly so, when Herod was troubled, the people were troubled. If Herod felt himself threatened, that meant perhaps another purge or massacre in the city as Herod sought to preserve his power and throne. However, there was another reason why they were troubled, I think. I'm sure it was their unbelief. We must understand that although the people had been given uh, many, several indications that something afoot was happening, their response was negative. For 400 years, the Lord had not prophesied or given new revelation to Israel, to Judah. Malachi was the last. Now, there's this thing with O Zechariah being in the temple, deaf and dumb. That miracle child, nine months later, Zechariah prophesying. And now the angels, report of an angel, and multitude of angels coming to the shepherd boys weren't scoundrels. They were respectable, responsible young men. And they had found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, that the angel said was the Messiah. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. All that was churning. All that was in the news. All that was being talked about. But even though they marveled, we read that in Luke, they marveled. They didn't go and check it out. There were no long lines trying to get a peek at this babe. You didn't have to get tickets to get a chance to see him. Were there one or two curious souls? Maybe, but there was nothing. No one came. And there was reason for this. Israel had been apostate. They had lost the faith except for a very few small numbers. In their unbelief, they looked not for a Savior from their sins. They looked for a Savior from earthly domination. They were looking for an earthly king. They were unconcerned about their sins before God. 
They were content by the fact that their genealogy, their being the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was the key for them to live forever in heaven. That's all that mattered. They didn't need a Savior for their sins. They didn't need a king that would take care of those matters. They wanted a king who would restore them to the glory days of David and Solomon and beyond. That's what they were looking for. And this babe in Bethlehem? That didn't fit the bill. A babe born in the stable? A feeding trough? Was his bed? No. No. And so like unbelief does, they dismissed these reports, explained them away, out of mind, out of sight, and they went on with their business. But now, these magi come from the east. Men of importance. Men of stature. Where is he born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east. We've come to worship him. More evidence that there were something to the rumors that were going along and being spread and squelched. And they were troubled. They were troubled in their unbelief. What a sharp contrast we see in the faith of the Magi. Certainly the Magi acted in faith. Their purpose in visiting the king of the Jews was not mere idle curiosity. They had come to worship him. They were no longer pagan priests of the Persians who dabbled in astrology and the occult. They have been brought to faith. And as believers, they were looking for the king of the Jews announced to them in this star whom they saw as their savior or whom they wanted to be their savior. These men had evidently been smitten by their sins. And they were looking for salvation from the star that had arisen out of Jacob. That's what it was about. And what a strong faith they had. Overcoming many obstacles. First of all, did they have any reason to be assured that this king of the Jews was of any significance for them? I mean, he was the king of the Jews. And they were Gentiles. Persians. Pagans. 
had mediated between the Persians and their idol gods. With few exceptions, Gentiles had not been any part of God's covenant or work of salvation up until this point. What assurance did they have that this Savior would be of any significance and, and, and help to them, but they came to worship him anyway. Secondly, after a long, tedious journey, they're met with blank stares in Jerusalem. They had expected Jerusalem to be rejoicing over their new king. But no one knew, nor even seemed to care. Where is he born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east. What? Oh, I don't know. And then when they did leave, for Bethlehem, guided by the star, no one followed them. And Herod didn't bother to come either. He just sent them on. The people, the Jews, whose king this was, had no interest, didn't care. But they went anyway. And then when they found the baby Jesus, the star, and I don't know how that happened. I don't know how a star can lead someone to a specific house, but it did. What did they find? They found a couple living in poverty. They weren't in the stable anymore. They were in a house. Evidently, they had decided to live there and to raise Jesus there in Bethlehem. But they found a young couple and a child in poverty. Now these men had been in the royal palace back in Persia. They probably had seen royal birth. With great fanfare, with riches, nothing like that. Just abject poverty. Nevertheless, they worshipped him. They bowed the knee to him, and they gave him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which probably in God's providence was used to support Mary and Martha, Joseph and Mary and the babe when they had to flee to Egypt. But that's what they did in faith. Their significance, the third point. The Magi are the first fruits of the Gentiles. That's their significance. Remember in the Old Testament era, up until this point, salvation had been for the Jews. From Abraham on, it had been for the Jews. However, that was not the full purpose of God. God's eternal purpose was to bring salvation to more than just one small nation, but to the nations. Now, in the Old Testament, salvation in God's covenant was limited by and large to the Jews, and there was reason for that. And that is that the Christ had not come, the Savior had not come, and obtained the salvation of God's elect by his perfect sacrifice on the cross. There was only the promise of it 
promises, promises. And on the basis of those promises, God limited His covenant people to one small nation. And the salvation they had and enjoyed was in small measure compared to what we have today. The Spirit worked in them, but because salvation had not been secured at the cross, the salvation they enjoyed was in small measure compared to us. And their understanding of the work of salvation was limited. The Bible talks about shadows. If all you see is the shadow of a person, well, you get some idea, but it's pretty limited in comparison to see the person who cast the shadow. They lived in shadows. Their knowledge of, of, of salvation and the perfect sacrifice what was limited to, to, to physical things, a temple, sacrifices, an earthly priesthood. But God's purpose was to do more, to bring the fullness of salvation and to bring it to the nations. For God's purpose to be accomplished, as we indicated, first of all, the Christ must come and through the perfect sacrifice on the cross obtain the full salvation of his people. That first of all. But then the Jews, who were the special people of God, had to recede. Not that there would be no salvation for Jews anymore, but they would lose their place as the special people in the covenant. It had come to a time when there was nothing special about being a Jew when it came to the covenant of God and salvation. And in the passage that we see here tonight, with the wise men, we see the beginning of all this. We see the coming of Christ, the birth of the King of the Jews, the Messiah, the Christ, the one, the only one in history who has the ability, the qualifications to bring the perfect sacrifice for sin. He is eternal God, the Son of God. He is truly human and a righteous man. He alone is able to bear the sins of his people and present them before God without sin. Here we have the man. And here we see how terrible the apostasy of the Jews is. Are, is. Already at his birth, what little they know of him, they have no use for him. One day they were going to crucify him. They had no use for him. Oh, during his ministry when he did miracles, great crowds followed him, but repeatedly they abandoned him when they found out what he was really like. So things were set in motion for God's greater purpose. And in that context, we have the Magi. They're Gentiles, pagan in background. But God brought them to faith, to a faith that was hardly found in the Jews at this time, an amazing faith, and brought them to the king of the Jews to worship him, embrace him, and seek his salvation, 
And these magi are the first fruits of more to come, of the nations to be brought to Christ. They're the first fruits. And so, with this incident of the Magi, we see the coming of the only one who can bring salvation to the church. We see the beginnings of rejection that will lead the Jews to lose their special place in the covenant. And we see the beginnings of the Gentiles being brought to Christ. Those magi are the first fruits of us, too, aren't they? We are among those who follow the magi. We certainly follow them in salvation. God had worked faith in the hearts of these pagan priests, transformed them into true believers, who desired and sought the salvation of God. How much knowledge they had, we mustn't overestimate it, but it was there. And they came with a strong faith that wouldn't be denied to find the King of the Jews. And God has also given that same faith to us, hasn't he? In our generations. To us, our children, our children's children, it's amazing. And so we're here. As those who are the followers of the Magi in salvation and faith. Now let's also follow their example of faith. We have that faith. Now let's follow their example of faith. By faith, they traveled for thousands of miles you might say against all odds, to worship the king and to bring him gifts. Let us also worship the Christ child. The world in which we live rejects him. It's so bad now that this is a holiday. Happy holidays. Christmas? Christmas, no, it's happy holidays. Let's not bring Christ in it. And this is a time for drinking and partying and feasting. And when Christ is mentioned, as he is, the poverty, the humility of his birth is glossed over. We're not given a true image of what it was like at his birth. Our pastor showed that to us this morning. And when Jesus is acknowledged, his sacrifice on the cross is hardly ever, ever in view. Jesus is such a wonderful example. Follow him. Follow him. You know, you got Nelson Mandela, you got Mahatma Gandhi, you got Martin Luther King, you got Jesus. Follow them. The world will be better off. We'll have peace. No. Let's worship the Christ child of Scripture. The lowliness of Jesus' birth pointed 
to a greater lowliness he assumed by taking himself on our flesh. When he came from heaven through the, and took upon himself our flesh as our mediator, he took upon himself the shame of our sin and guilt. There's no greater shame than the shame of sin and guilt and the terrible punishment that comes from it. He took that upon himself. He humbled himself to take that upon himself, yours and mine and all of his people, whom the Father gave him. Stark, miserable, lowly circumstances of his life only pointed to the greater humiliation. He took those sins, he took them to the cross to make perfect payment for all his own. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, though he was rich. He was rich, the Son of God. Yet for our sakes he became poor, not just monetarily, but spiritually, legally, with our sins, that we through his poverty might be rich. Let's not be offended by this, but embrace this by faith. That's our salvation. And then let us worship the babe of Bethlehem, knowing these things. And let's give gifts to him and his cause. You know, <laughs> we like to exchange gifts at this time of the year, don't we? That's not what the Magi did, did they? They didn't, they didn't exchange names and give gifts to each other. They didn't do that. Well, that's all right. But that's not following the example of the Magi. The Magi gave gifts to Jesus. Let's also celebrate his birth by doing the same. How, how do we do that? Well, you have his church here for whom he gave his life. You have his brothers and sisters here in the covenant. Support the gospel ministry. Support the church. Support the poor. Take time to help your fellow saints. Again, our pastor brought out this morning out of Matthew 25. When you visit those who belong to Jesus and care for them and uphold them, you're doing it to Christ. Let's devote ourselves to the service of his name. Then we're following the example of the Magi. That's what faith is. That's the fruit of the salvation found in Jesus Christ. May God lead us, strengthen us in that way. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for thy word. We're thankful, O oh God, that even though in our past we were not a people, now we are a people by thy grace, brought into the covenant as the magi were of old. Lord, strengthen our faith. Give us a faith that is as strong 
and persistent as the faith of the Magi. We pray this in his name alone, in Jesus' name alone, 